0: Welcome to Itak Dale, a podcast about Poland from Indiana University's Polish Studies Center. I'm Elizabeth Cullen Dunn, your host. My guest today is sociologist, public intellectual and human rights activist Elżbieta Korolczuk. She is a researcher at Södertörn University in Stockholm, Sweden, and she teaches at the University of Warsaw's American Studies program. Welcome Ella, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Hello. Well, I think we're all absolutely gripped by what's been happening in Warsaw over the past weeks. Maybe you can, um, for people who haven't been up on it, just start by telling us a little bit of the background to the current crisis.
1: The question is uh, where to start, right? Because we could start this really long story um, around probably 89, and you know how abortion has become one of the main political cleavages soon after Poland regained dem- democracy. But this particular uh, moment that we have now stemmed from the decision of the constitutional tribunal, which ruled that um, basically one of the exceptions um, uh, to have an abortion, so the condition under which women still could get an abortion, even though it is generally banned in Poland, um, which was the serious malformation um, in the fetus, is unconstitutional.
0: Yeah, and I know that there were some politicians talking about the need to have these babies born so they could be baptized.
1: Yes, basically, um, it is very much uh, the discourse uh, which you could, the change in the discourse of anti choice groups, which you can also observe in the United States and in Canada and in other countries, where they try to position uh, abandoned abortion as something that will protect. Um, um, a minority group, which in this uh, situation, in this context, are fetuses um, with disabilities diagnosed with the possibility to have a serious irrevers- and irreversible Uh, Malformation and they try to position them as a minority group of people with disabilities and they claim that this is something that we need to do as a civilized society and also that abortion is basically bad for women because they suffer psychologically allegedly so in that sense, they have changed their um, discourse, but the goals remain the same to ban access to abortion.
0: Mm -hmm. So tell me why there certainly have been abortion bans in Poland before the right to abortion has been narrowed progressively over time. Why is it that this at this moment, there was this huge uprising against it?
1: Well, uh, this basically goes back to the beginning of the uh, rule of uh, law and justice in 2015. Um, This coalition, this right-wing coalition, came to power in 2015, in October. And basically, um, right from the start, ultra-conservative organizations, uh, religious fundamentalist actors, started to push for such changes. So the idea was that once, I mean, they supported law and justice um, in their journey to size power, and what they wanted now is a payback, basically. Right Polish Catholic Church has always been um, a big uh, proponent on abortion of abortion ban, and of course this is also an important factor but um, um, this was uh, the dynamic that you could see in many other countries when the right wing populists or um, radical right wing uh, parties come to power. Uh, There is much more uh, political opportunities for ultra conservative groups to push for such changes, but at the same time, there was a huge opposition to that and uh, there were different types of oppositional movements, such as the committee for the defense of democracy, which emerged already in 2016 the beginning of 2017. Uh, Sorry, 2015, beginning of 2016, Um, and they started to organize big marches, protests, and so on. And if you look at the um, women who became the leaders of the Polish women's strike, for example, such as Marta Lempart from Wrocław, um, she has been initially involved in the Committee for the Defense of Democracy. And when this proposition in 2016 became... um, seriously considered uh, on the level of the parliament and by that time it was not not only the ban but also women could face up to five years in prison for undergoing abortion. Um, That was the moment where um, as usual in the history you have women engaging in different types of movements such as civil rights movement in the United States and then they realize wow our rights are in danger so we have to mobilize on behalf of our on behalf of our rights as women. And that was the moment where networks such as uh, the Polish Women's Strike emerged or Gals for Girls, for example, an online uh, women's community, which has over 100,000 members. And also local mobilizations. They mobilized um, in 2016, 2017. And then um, now we have a new wave of mobilization, which gathers and mobilizes mostly the youth. So these are the the, the young people who um, were basically, I mean, their adult life began under the law and justice regime already. And they basically are the most secularized and progressive group in the Polish society. And they, sorry, I, I don't think, It sounds
0: like it's urban youth then, not that there's an urban-rural split to this.
1: Not necessarily, because uh, you could see it already in 2016, where many small cities, even villages, mobilized um, against um, uh, this proposal. And also today, you can see uh, this Persian, um, that you can see that those protests are not only mobilized in big cities by urban youth, but also by young people who uh, still live in smaller cities who um, want to be heard also on their local level. So I would say that this urban um, um, rural division does not play as big um, a role as the generational division.
0: Yeah, and I understand that generational politics are um, the the cleavage between generations is, Often quite vast, and I've heard some talk about the opposing force to um, the current uh, choice pro-choice movement as being the mohair berets, which is middle-aged conservative women. Would you say that 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 the other side is
1: also mobilizing on grounds of gender? Um, I think it's more more the. Problem with demographic or the issue with demographics, because basically women live longer, and if you look at the uh, older generation, there is an overrepresentation of women. And if you look at, uh, for example, who is supporting loyal justice, women disproportionately support them. But this is especially older, um, less educated women living in smaller cities who are who tend to be much more religious and who tend to be much more uh, conservative. So in that sense, you have women on both sides of this uh, divide, but clearly uh, the generational divide uh, is very, very powerful.
0: Yeah, and it's fascinating that the young people who are mobilizing are not people who have any memory themselves of the Solidarity Movement or some of the other large mobilizations in Polish history. This is, this is in fact, a fresh batch of people who aren't capitalizing on that kind of expertise.
1: I would say that they probably capitalized more on this uh, mass protests in 2016, because this is their memory. This is their generational um, um, code, I would say. The Black and Umbrella this, protests. Yes, the Black Umbrella protests. And they were really powerful in terms of symbolic uh, meaning, in terms of type of representations they they produced those very vivid pictures, uh, remarkable pictures of women, you know, in this black um, with this black umbrella standing in, in the rain protesting and so on. And this has become a real, um, really important element of our uh, cultural memory. So in that sense, this is probably much more important for them than the sort of solidarity from ages ago.
0: Yeah, that's, it's their use of symbols and the importance of new forms of representation and graphic design in all of this has been absolutely stunning. Maybe you could talk to us a little bit about what you saw on the streets and what kinds of symbols were being mobilized by the protesters.
1: Well, uh, what is really remarkable, and I'm saying this uh, both as a scholar and also as an activist, a longtime activist, is that you have uh, a lot of people with homemade banners usually you know people are not so eager to spend their time on producing this kind of stuff but here almost everyone tried to come up with something creative um, and uh, and the language is been, has been really well blunt so to speak so they would use uh, words like fuck off and get the fuck out of here and much more, um, I would say vulgar um, uh, words. And terms. It is
0: certainly a slogan that gets right to the point. Um, yes. Fuck off is very, very clear about what their demands are.
1: Yes, so this this really shows anger and it really shows frustration and it really shows that we, I mean, we as uh, the young generation we don't want to come back to whatever you know past you are representing we really are tired of you guys um but it's also uh usually connected with a lot of playfulness a lot of you know game words a lot of um a lot of um you know symbols from popular culture so you would have you know princess leah there or you would have um Um, you know people from tv series or you would have also quotes from polish poets um, that you know youth have to memorize in their classes but they're you know changed in order to accommodate for a more straightforward message of get the fuck out of here right so in that sense it's uh, it's really cool and it's also interesting how this um, how this protests are um, these are these protests are, of course, mobilized and organized by the Polish women's strike and local organizations, feminist organizations and LGBT organizations, mostly. But there is a lot of there's this kind of very good energy because uh, I was quite worried about, you know, being mostly in self quarantine. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to see you know, 1, 100,000 people on the streets. It's like, ah, do I want it? But then when I went there, it was such a great atmosphere of, um, of um, solidarity, of really enjoyment of being together, of real um, togetherness. So even when there, are, when there were moments that the right-wing um, activists Militias started to to attack us. Started to attack people in the in this crowd. It wasn't like you know panic. People were people were cautious, but they weren't really panicking. They were paying attention to what's going on around, to you know not to harm anyone to really come as a group and not just you know a bunch of individuals who happen to be on the same streets so it's it's really great and it's also great that you have um different initiatives you know there will be people who are protesting against our new minister of um, education who is a homophobic prick basically um you would have protests again look against local churches and especially you know authorities and i, I guess we we would come back to that because this is a very characteristic element of these protests that they are really, really against the hierarchy and the power of the church. You would have local protests against, um, for example, now in the Pothala re- region, uh, which is a very conservative region, we have a lot of um, you know situations uh, of violence against women within families. So there, for ex- they have, for example, organized protests uh, during the last uh, weekend focused specifically on this and on this issue of you know local culture which is um which is basically allowing or accepting this kind of behavior within families um and so on and so forth so it's it's like mushrooming people are taking initiative and they feel that this is their protest, so they can take part in it and also organize it as well
0: And there were reports of groups that you wouldn't expect standing up besides the protesters, taxi drivers, miners, um, farmers uh, pulling tractors out onto the street. What do you think accounts for these unexpected groups joining in the protests?
1: A couple of issues. One is that, um, well, when it comes to the cruelty of the power holders, Uh, When it becomes so so obvious, so visible, there are many people who would otherwise not really join the protest, but they want to be on the good side of history in a way. They feel uh, personally affected by the cruelty of um, such solutions, like the one um, introduced by the constitutional tribunal. Um, Secondary, uh, um, the second issue is that um, there is a huge frustration of different uh, social groups because the the current government is not very good in handling the COVID uh, pandemic, to say, to put it mildly, (laughs) they're really doing a bad job. And um, many social groups feel that this this government is really taking care mostly of, you know, of themselves, right? So they are not really caring for the people. Um, And also there is this cultural change, which means that the protests are are sexy in a way you know they're they're popular sexy in a way that yeah you know I, i've been a feminist for for over two decades you know on the streets right and we always felt that we are in a minority sometimes i was standing there with you know 20 30 people oh and you know being ridiculed and so on you know it
0: i i remember i remember in poland in the 90s i always thought that there were more more American scholars studying Polish feminists than there were Polish feminists. So it was yes. a very tiny minority.
1: Yes, and over the last couple of years, this has be- th- this type of identification has become really um, popular, especially among younger people, but it also became much more normalized and much more um, accepted socially um and uh it was it, it's really amazing uh, i was at this protest and i went to to the store afterwards you know in this big rainbow flag ra- wrapped around me um and there was this older gentleman who was um working in the store and he approached me and said like oh you were in the protest so great that you were there i'm working today so i couldn't come but i would come otherwise good job and i was like wow (laughs) like like, you know um that's that's quite unusual that's that's not something that you would normally encounter and i think that um this is also because the the protesters the especially the polish women's strike tries to generalize the the grievances the claims and include issues connected to you know um um the situation of people who have been fired due to due to the pandemic, they include issues connected to the quality of um, healthcare, they connect issues, um, um, grievances of people with disabilities and their families, so for example, because, you probably didn't hear about it, but on the first of uh, November there is this moment where everyone in Poland goes uh, All Saints' Day, right? So the, the moment where we go to the to the um, uh, cemeteries and you know visit our the graves of our beloved loved ones, and the government decided to close the cemeteries. So the people who usually would make their living on selling candles and flowers and so on they were just left with nothing and the Polish women's strike organized this kind of solidarity um well protest or action uh so encouraging people to go to these uh, cemeteries buying those flowers and candles and take them home or deliver it deliver it to the uh, you know to the institutions they Want to deliver the message, you know, concerning the the fact that they don't want them anymore, uh, like you know, your local MP from the Law and Justice Party, and so on. So, well, that certainly also makes a point, doesn't it?
0: Yes. A, so about it, about wanting the sort of graveyard of, of populism to emerge.
1: Yes. Yes. So, as you can see, that, you know the, the 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 women's movement really tries hard to. Um, Encourage other groups to be included and to feel included in the, in in this movement. Um, and in that sense, if you look at the opinion polls, um, uh, over sixty percent of polls are against this new um, regulation. Which would ban um, access to abortion in cases of um, serious malformation in the fetus, uh, and uh, over seventy percent are uh, suppo- declare support for the protests.
0: So right? it's interesting. It, I, I have two interesting questions about this. One is is about populism itself as a global movement, and it seems that the populists organize around different issues in different places. So in the United States, it's been organized around immigration and ethnicity. Um, But why in Poland was it organized around gender? Was that something that law and justice chose or something that the feminists chose as the terrain to fight on? Like why has gender become the organizing principle here?
1: Um, Basically, because it has been an organizing principle in uh, political struggles for for quite some time. Uh, And in that sense, if you think about the uh, change, um, the the process of transformation as a process of sort of reinstating the traditional gender order uh, in Polish society, uh, this is the, the, the it's not a coincidence that abortion was one of the issues which was, you know, taken up by the new newly elected government in 1993, right? Can you imagine? You have uh, huge economic problems. You have huge social problems. You have huge unemployment, right? I mean, it's like countries falling apart. And the thing that they started to started with is abortion. Like, yeah. Why on earth would you do it? It was important because uh it was the process of reinstating the um the um type of uh, reinstating the power of the state based on which was legitimized by a specific type of cultural um um imaginaries concerning you know nation uh, uh family Um, society as organized around, you know, women as reproducers of the nation and culture and men as those who are in power and and who should be, um, who should be um, the ones who lead, right? So in that sense, communism was uh, rejected as the moment of, Agnieszka Graf wrote about this in in a very interesting article uh, back in the 90s, that communism was reimagined, as this kind of reversed order where women were emancipated and men were uh, emasculated. Right. So in that sense, the idea was that we have to come back to what is normal and natural, which means that the men should be put back in the uh, position of power and women should be subjugated. Um, And in that sense, of course, that's why the question of gender is very much connected to uh, to uh, population politics. Right. And the question of demography and the idea that, you know, we are one of the countries uh, which uh, in which we have very low fertility um, rates. And the idea is that this happens, of course, because of feminists telling women not to have children and have abortion instead. Um, And in that sense, of course, um, this is the moment where um, very different types of um, politics and policies are Um, are being proposed by different uh, political forces. On the one hand, you have uh, right-wing populists, uh, which is law and justice, saying, well, we should support families, we should uh, promote, um, we should introduce pro-natalist um, solutions, such as, for example, giving 500 plus for every child monthly. Um, And we should, and that's, that's the way to oppose this rampant individualism, this demise of uh, moral codes, and that's how we will protect our nation um, from um, both Western demoralization and Eastern, um, Eastern um, well threat, right? Um, and in that sense, this kind of you know demographic fever dreams are characteristic to most autocratic and right wing populist regimes. Yeah, uh, certainly in Russia now, Putin has been pushing mm.
0: a pro-Natalist, pro-family, anti-Western value, anti-gay rights agenda. And I've always wondered, given how, given the historic opposition between Russia and Poland and the general sentiments of peace against Russia, if they've ever found any, um, what's the word I want? If they've ever found any paradox in the fact that they are lining up with an anti-Western European agenda that's also being put forward by Vladimir Putin. There's a geopolitics of this protest.
1: Yes, there is geopolitics of uh, moral divide as well. So in that sense, they uh, promote the vision that they are um, anti-Putin. But in reality, if you look at uh, politics, Level and the ways in which they are doing politics, it's very clear that they are under the influence of um, of Russia as this kind of you know the leader of traditional values in the world. Because it, it's quite it's quite interesting how this uh, moral geography develops. Because um, uh, you've probably read this book by Holmes and um, and Krastev about you know the idea that uh, people in countries such as Poland and basically post-communist world uh, do not want um, rejected liberalism because they didn't want to imitate, um, the, um, imitate the West. Right. My take on it is that they actually took for granted the, 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 the narrative proposed by right wing forces um, who are claiming that this is exactly what this conflict is about. Right that it, we don't want to imitate the West, and therefore we have to um you know uh, protect our sovereignty, our cultural codes, our patriarchy, our misogyny, our homophobia, and so on and so forth because this is local and this is original, and this is something that uh that differentiates us from the the moralized West, but if you look at who is promoting this this notion you will find people such as Alex Jones, who is an American uh, anti-Semite and you know, notorious persona on, on the right wing fringe, uh, who is coming to Warsaw and you know uh, telling Polish right wingers, basically, oh, it's so great. You will save the West just as Sobieski saved the West from uh, Ottoman Empire a couple of hundred years ago. Now you will save us from this Islamic threat right? Because you are the ones who preserved those traditional values, those values which were once the uh, staple of uh, Christian um, civilization, but which was lost because of the sexual revolution and the 60s and so on.
0: So this is kind of overlaying a gender geopolitics onto this traditional yes. narrative about Poland as the, as the nation that that is the, the bulwark against uh, Islamization against demoralization or degeneracy. But it, I find it really interesting that these narratives are, which are promoting themselves as, as intensely local, are so globalized. And you see things like the Congress of World Families in the Republic of Georgia a few years ago, and there were Poles, there were Hungarians, there were Canadians, there were Americans, there were all sort of um, aren't lobbying for a traditional values approach mm. when in fact, their own values, their own traditions were so disparate, right. And, and so they're creating a kind of homogenized tradition that is itself global. So mm. um, it's interesting that this very local movement is very not so local.
1: Definitely. Um, there is World Congress of Families, there is uh, the uh, Political Network for Values, there is Citizen Go, there are uh, many of those organizations. If you, I, I think uh, it, it was Open Democracy who published the um, uh, report uh, two weeks ago, I think, which informed about the amount of money that ultra-conservative American, uh, often religious fundamentalist organizations, spend in Europe, in Europe. In, um, uh, in european union for lobbying uh the money they spent on lobbying mm-hmm. for issues such as abortion lgbtq rights and so on and it was over as far as i remember 90 uh, uh, million uh, dollars um, uh, in, in the you know during the couple of years so i mean this is a, a huge amount of money so organizations such as um, American Center for Law and Justice have their um, European off roots such as the European Center for Law and Justice, which basically tries to lobby and litigate um, in Strasbourg, in Brussels, and they in turn cooperate very closely with Polish Ordo Juris Institute, which was the, one of the main organizations pushing for Um, for the ban on abortion in 2016 and it's still one of the key anti-gender actors pushing for different kinds of um, of um, uh, you know law proposals which would limit the uh, rights of the LGBT persons uh, which would limit the access to contraception and so on and so forth so in that sense, it is a very much global uh, global agenda and global networks which uh, which mm, well promote this kind of ideas locally. And it is, as you said, very interesting that they are always saying that they're local, that they try to um, uh, to protect ro- local traditions, local style of uh, lifestyles, right, um, traditional families, and so on and so forth. What is, I think, important here to, to observe is the fact that they moved from, because if you think about 90s, um, Clifford Bob talks, uh, who analyzed this these coalitions, um, ultra-conservative coalitions at the time, he, he coined the, the term Baptist Burka Network, because it was very often... Um, um, networks which connected ultra-conservative Christian uh, Protestant organizations with uh, mm, with Muslim organizations. Mm-hmm. I think that after 9-11, that was no longer possible, quite simply. And with the current wave of Islamophobia in Europe, it is not longer possible. Uh, so that's why we have much more... <clears throat> cooperation among different christian denominations especially uh, catholics uh, evangelicals and um, and uh, different uh, well local um, orthodox churches Mm -hmm. like you know the moscow patriarchate for example but um, what is really a connection here is that they all moved from having this ultra conservative agenda on, on the open, talking about, you know, hellfires, which await gay people and so on, they moved to a pro-family agenda, right? So they- Sounds much more innocuous. It sounds so nice. You know, I was at the world Congress of families last year in Verona, uh, which was this kind of big meeting of uh, different ultra-conservative actors, both political and non-governmental from all over the world. Um, And it was amazing because, you know, Brian Brown, who is the head of World Congress of Families and who in the United States, he's an American. He basically focuses on preventing, you know, a gay couple from having any rights. And in Verona, he was all about family. He was talking about the beauty of family the beauty of being together, you know, Verona, the city of love was often um, referenced as the, you know, the main um, staple of the meeting, you know, each and almost each and every uh, presenter started with talking about his own family, you know, how many children do they have and, you know, how great they are and, you know, how their wives support them and so on and so forth. So in that sense, they really very consciously, Uh, promulgate this vision of, you know, people who are family men mostly and who try to do whatever, you know, it takes to protect family, children, traditional lifestyles, you know, hardworking people and so on. And it works.
0: Oh, yeah. I think the rhetoric is incredibly effective. Um, Your mention of Ordo Ruris brings up the question of the changing role of the church in Poland. And and one of the things that really struck me was that in all of the previous protests there there was no real attempt to push the church the Catholic church out of politics in Poland and it seems like that's changed a lot with these protests. Do you think that we're looking at a generation of young people who have a very different relationship to Catholicism?
1: Definitely. They say the bishops get the fuck out of here and do it soon. So obviously they have very different relation with Catholicism. Um, well, I would say that uh, the question of the church was, you know, one of the main issues that the Polish feminism tried to talk about. And I remember, uh, you know, um, manifestation, feminist manifestations, yearly feminist manifestations on the 8th of March, which I used to organize. Uh, which were tackled the themes of you know that we one of the um, slogans we had was that we need to cut the umbilical cord between the state and the church and you know I remember all those billboards that we paid for with a huge uh, slogans bishop is not god right and stuff like that so we tried to do it for a long time really and I think that uh this is one of those l- really long term process processes which you know you see the effects only after like two decades right you, you really can't yeah. change those things very quickly um and i think that today we see the effects of those efforts also of the efforts of uh groups of people who worked very hard to unearth the the uh, history of pedophilia within the church and the history of covering up pedophilia within the church, we had several you know uh, instances of you know documentary films, reports, um, is- issues. Uh, these cases were on you know started to be really big on the media in the media, um, but I think. There is also this process in which uh, the more you push, the more people oppose. So for the last, um, you know, more than a decade, we have um, Catholic Church everywhere in classrooms, in public, um, public, uh, you know, uh, manifestations in. Um, in uh, public uh, institutions. I mean, y- you can't really open up a local uh, bar without having a priest there, you know, like uh, with, with, a, you know, blessing and stuff like that. So in that sense, um, I think that this pow- political power of the church has become so blatantly obvious while the moral authority of the church has been so visibly crumbling right that for the young generation it is impossible to give in to the type of hypocrisy that my generation a lot of people in my generation still uh, gave into like oh we, we don't care about it but you know the grandmother wants us to get married so that's why we want to get married right And now people are pushing back and just saying, you know, yes, and it's it's also generational change because while people in my generation still, um, you know, they were ready to 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 basically be hypocrites, right? They didn't. Oh, I think that that was
0: very widespread. I remember it vividly that people would say, "I don't believe, but I go to church
1: every Sunday because if I don't, people talk." Exactly. Yeah. So, and that's something that's changed now, because also this generation stopped pushing their children to be such hy- hypocritic, right? In a way, th- that was this kind of generational break. They they gave in to their, you know, the, to the older generation, but they, they weren't as vigilant about it because they didn't care, really. They just did it because, you know, everyone wanted them in the family and so on and blah, blah, blah. But But they didn't believe in that anymore. And the church, they didn't do anything to make them believe. So this is really a crisis
0: of morality as much as anything else, as much as it's a crisis of politics. It's a crisis of moral authority.
1: It's a crisis of, it's a moment where you can see that the, um, the emperor is naked, right? This is the moment like in all situations where people realize that they are the ones who are, uh, legitimizing the authority of an institution that is morally corrupt, right? And uh, there is this film on on TikTok of several young girls who gathered in front of the church, local church in a small town on, in the north, and they entered into a conversation with the ch- with the priest. So the priest is. At the beginning, he thinks that he still has the authority, right? He's a priest, you know, they should listen to him. And he started to, you know, wave his finger and, and scream at them and so on. And at the beginning, they started to scream those young girls, get get back to your church. But he wouldn't listen. He still assumes that he is the one in charge here. And then they started to laugh and scream at him and say, like, you know, get the fuck out of here. Wow. And you can see that, you know, they, they feel joy. It's exhilarating that they are doing it. They are like, you know, speaking truth to power, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is kind of symbolic moment where we, where, where the priest who still believes that, you know, his robe, his position, his, um, he, him being the priest still counts for something. And it doesn't. Wow, that's a
0: tremendous transformation. What has the response from the church or from peace been to this enormous challenge to their authority?
1: The usual, saying that this is inspired by the devil. And, you know, ultra-conservatives don't use this religious language anymore, but the church does. So basically, Uh, the church representatives are saying that this is kind of demonic influence, that this is because there is so much uh, homosexual sex on Netflix. (laughs) And uh, well, maybe it is, I don't know. Uh, But um, um, the response from the state is much more interesting because what everyone was afraid of was uh, violence, basically. Because those protests were, most of them were illegal, right? You couldn't organize them legally. And um, um, and so far, the police wasn't brutal. There were instances that they would, you know, like um, harass the protesters in one way or another. But it wasn't like mass arrests or anything. And this is something that, you know, we were all worried about. So, uh so basically, um, there has been the documents were leaked that Kaczyński wanted the police to act with full force, but the police didn't want to do it, and it means that they are, you know, smart enough to understand that, you know, um, arresting young girls on the streets, you know, using violence is not, you know, a solution to this crisis. Um, and at the same time, the the government the the, the, um, the government didn't I mean the Kaczynski basically he didn't decide yet about uh, publishing this ruling because the ruling of the gov- of constitutional government becomes um, the law once it is published, and it is not yet published and nobody well, knows. This is what I've heard, and this has never yes. happened before. Actually, it happened before, because ah, okay. that, that was actually in 2017. That was the moment where, uh, and it's unconstitutional that they're not publishing it, by the way. So it's its not something that we applaud with, with much enthusiasm, I would say. Yeah. Um, so it happened before that uh, the Constitutional Tribunal, under the basically the influence of the current government, did not publish um, key, uh, key rulings of the previous constitutional tribunal. So that was the one of the elements of the, uh, of the crisis in 2016, 2017. So th- there is a precedence okay. to that. So why do you think that they, I mean, you're basically
0: in stasis now, right? The ruling has not been voided, but it hasn't come into effect. Um, what do you think Piece's strategy is in doing that? Why, why
1: put you into limbo? I think it's a lack of strategy mm. in reality. They, they they see that these protests have gained in um, in um, importance and support and they also see that uh, the uh, approval rates for the government has dropped dramatically and uh, law and justice who a couple of months ago had over you know 40 something percent of support now have uh, barely 30 so it's a 10% percent loss in Two months. Wow, that's dramatic. That's dramatic. So so they are basically afraid of moving into whatever direction. They, they basically try to smear the protesters and try to uh, portray them as those who are responsible for the dramatic spread of the coronavirus now, which people are not buying. So in that sense, I think that they have no idea what to do now. Because I don't think that Kaczynski ever wanted this to happen, he gave in to ultra conservative uh, organizations, but he didn't really, you know, he doesn't care about abortion so much, He, what he cares is power. And this has become a nuisance in his um, efforts to, to, you know, to hold on to power. Um, so we can expect anything from uh, governmental crisis in the next couple of uh, months and, you know, maybe um, next elections you know next year mm-hmm. or uh them playing dump and and saying like well this is not a problem anymore because this is not published and we are continuing to consultate this right is there any
0: way for them to walk it back can they reverse it or no. is that politically impossible no. it's uh, no it wouldn't be constitutional to do that mm. no well, it's certainly interesting time to watch the developments. It looks like there'll be another round of of action and protests sometime in the near future. It sounds definitely. like it sounds like the organizers of these protests are are preparing for that.
1: Yes, definitely, there are efforts uh, on different levels. Because on the one hand, uh, there are protests which are often organized by local. Uh, groups and networks and they are coordinated partly by uh, the polish women's strike but not necessarily controlled uh there are also efforts to move it online and there are you know different um, types of uh, strategies or tactics from you know anti-government songs to efforts to for example block the um Um, The um, email box of specific politicians um, and so on and so forth, Uh, there are also efforts locally to uh, mobilize and try to um, to form some kind of, you know, organizations or institutions, there is also a coordinative council established um, um, at the national level by the Polish women's strike with people who are supposed to, experts and also activists who are supposed to work on, f- farther on, uh, uh, on the grievances and the program of the movement. So you could see both institutionalization and dispersion of, um, of um, protests, the kind of hybridization that is required also by the pandemic.
0: Yeah, the, and the fact that the pandemic has changed uh, organizing strategies, and that the internet revolution has changed organizing strategies, that the, the physical geographical dispersal of the movement is as necessary as its concentration in the streets is, is a new thing. So we will hopefully check back in with you in a few months and see where things are. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for uh, for this talk and for the invitation. And let's you know keep our fingers crossed both for Poland and for the U.S. <laughs>